So here's the case. Here's one of the first times where I actually was directly, had a patient that was directly affected in my presence of, uh, with COVID. Hi everybody, I'm Dr. Larson and this is On Call with Dr. Larson podcast coming to you today, September 14, 2021. I just got off call to say the least, I am a bit exhausted. I am gonna go over the call week because it was absolutely insanely different than it had been in the past. Normally a call week for me, if you've listened to the prior podcasts, has been involved with a lot of surgeries, a lot of dealing with acute care, trauma patients, brain tumor patients, spine tumor patients, infections, uh, bleeds. This week was much different. First difference came upon entering the call week, um, which was three weeks or four weeks since I'd last been on call. I had some time off. Um, and the last time I was on call, I think we did 22 surgeries that week. This week started with an email, a phone call from the executive committee persons saying, here's the status of the hospital. We are on closed down. We are at 150 or 180% capacity. We are doing only the most urgent of surgeries. Anything and everything that could be put off could to another time is being put off to another time. However, the another time you really, the, you really don't know when it is going to be because the problem at hand, the problem of the influx of patients, almost all COVID related, uh, is, is, is essentially shutting down our services. So resources, you know, were limited uh, mostly in time, energy, and ability to manage the workload because there's just no spaces. So the week starts off with this introduction of how it's going to be. I then show up to make rounds and wow, what a difference. If you walk around downtown Coeur d'Alene or anywhere in this area of North Idaho, You'll see the, the exception is people with masks. That's generally not the rule. You see restaurants full. Um, you see uh, bars full. You see boats full. You see, I mean, everybody, if this business as usual is what it, it, what it appears to be, you'd never know there was a pandemic going on on the outside. You walk into the hospital, it's much different. The hospital appears to be the great filtration system for this pandemic. I mean, the hospitals are at capacity and I'm hearing it around the, around the country, but in our county, Kootenai County in Idaho, um, without question, our hospital is, is on closed down mode. If you walk around the hospital, you'll see a much bigger oxygen tank. They had to bring in a bigger oxygen tank to take care of the uh, patients that are now requiring more, more care in the hospital. When I, I started my call week, I walked into the hospital to make rounds and you, you, there's one entire floor has been converted to a COVID unit. You walk up onto that floor and there's no walking around. There's lines, barricades of where you can and can't go with proper protection. And, you, and it's very strict on, on, on protective equipment. You wear goggles, you wear a mask, and an N95 mask, you wear gloves, a gown, and you change that in each patient encounter. So you know, I was made rounds and there were, you know, the, the, I think most patients in the hospital now are COVID related. So most of the patients that are in the hospital have COVID. So you're doing this pretty regularly. 
You go to the surgical floor, and of course the operating room's empty. There's two rooms running. Go into the emergency room, and of, of the, I don't know how many rooms are in there, 20, 30, 40, 40 rooms, there are five functioning rooms. The rest of them are full of patients, most with COVID. When I'm making rounds now, I make rounds in the heart center, a place where you would go to have like a cardiac procedure done. This has been now converted to a patient care unit. So those little cubicles where you would go and have um, a procedure done, an EKG or a cardiology procedure, or maybe even a GI procedure, those are all patient care units. I'm seeing patients with head injuries in these places. Nursing staff are all skilled ICU quality nurses taking care of these patients, and of course, all the medical staff are taking care of them to their abilities. But it was pretty remarkable to see the hospital turned around like this. There's National Guard walking around the hospital because the hospital's in this emergency crisis condition, which gives them help from the National Guard, apparently. So there's, there's persons stepping into our county to help care for patients. I think they're doing mostly the administrative work, but it's just everything's stressed. It's really, everything's maxed out. And it's, it's beautiful to see that our healthcare system can, can, can step up in even this extreme, but it's also really, really difficult. And I'm a, I'm a neurosurgeon on call. I'm not directly responsible for taking care of patients that are directly affected with COVID. I'm seeing them for their neurosurgical issues. The people that I really feel sorry for, I mean, the, the nurses that are, are, are taking care of these patients day in, day out, the ER physicians that are seeing them day in, day out, and if I'm skipping anybody, I'm sorry, but all the staff that are, have direct encounters, it's, it's stressful, and I, you can see it. You can see everybody throwing themselves um, you know, to, to take care of these patients, and, and uh, it's not always working. There are patients now dying in the hospital. There are patients being put in body bags because of COVID, okay? Almost all of them in the hospital, every, almost every COVID patient in the hospital is unvaccinated for whatever that's worth. I'm not gonna you know, lay an opinion on that here during this podcast, but almost every patient in the hospital that has COVID is, in our hospital is unvaccinated. So with that in mind, now we have a, you know, I'm starting the call session with a full hospital. I think they're at 100, I heard at 180% capacity. I think there's something, there was something like 130, COVID patients, and I think like 50 or 60 of them were in the ICU. I think that 12 to 20 of them were intubated, requiring ventilators. So it's pretty sick, pretty, pretty sick situation. It's what a contrast. As soon as you walk outside, I mean, boom, you're in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know anything's wrong. And I think that's just, it makes me think about this a lot and that how, how the hospital really is the, fil the filter. For, for the community. But there's a cost to this, uh, a tremendous cost, multiple costs. One of them is that we're not allowed to provide medical care anymore. We just can't to, for a variety of conditions that we would otherwise treat right away. We're trying to manage this. I mean, so now for neurosurgery, for example, in general, there's a rule that uh, where if a patient shows up in an emergency room with a head injury, for example, and a bleed, if we get a call from an emergency room doctor saying, hey, I've got this patient with this problem, and we are a higher level of care, which we are because we have the neurosurgeon on call, we accept the patient. Now we have nowhere to put that patient, so we can't accept the patient. The problem is all the hospitals around here, all the hospitals in eastern Washington, 
uh, even in Seattle, it's my understanding, are, are filling up fast and there's no room. So what I find myself doing is kind of coaching, you know, assessing this the best I can from a CT scan, providing advice to the um, ER physician. If it looks like it's going to be a non-operative case, what I might do is say, here's what I would do. You should watch this patient overnight which generally meant they'd keep the patient in the emergency room because there's no beds up there either. So the patient would stay in the emergency room, have their follow-up CT scan done, and then we'd circle back and look at that CT scan together to determine whether there was something that necessitated emergency surgery or whether it was something that could be treated without surgery, at which point the patient would never come to our hospital. So that's a dramatic change. It takes a lot of effort to coordinate that. And of course, there's a lot of frustration on both sides, there's the, you know, the, well, you have the patient being managed in an emergency room, you have the emergency room physician out of their comfort zone somewhat, and then you have me or we, the neurosurgeons, the neurosurgery team, trying to do telemedicine to the extreme on, this, on, this, on, on, on these patients. We'll get uh, calls on, I get a call from middle of Washington, the hospital in Yakima, Washington, it has to be couple hundred miles away from here. They had a patient that showed up in the emergency room that had an infection after a spine surgery done there by one of their surgeons and apparently that surgeon wasn't reachable or didn't take call or something and they were just trying to find any neurosurgeon that would help with this patient. Again, I was able to, I couldn't accept the patient, but here he's calling Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to try to get a patient into a hospital to get treated. It, from what the patient was, uh, what the ER doctor was describing, the patient had an infection, it had an opening in the wound, had some purulence, some pus coming out of the wound, and even Seattle wouldn't take the patient. So I, I just advised the uh, ER physician on how to try to manage that in the ER while they uh, were uh, trying to get a hold of their own neurosurgeon to, to, to help this. So we get stretched in ways that we weren't stretched before. I, w I think I did on call, one, two, three, four surgeries that were, that had to be done. They flat out had to be done. There wasn't an option. One was a uh, traumatic, one was a trauma. It was a, uh, a head injury. A woman fell, hit her head, had a subdural hematoma, and she was so-called crashing in the emergency room, which means she showed up with, after falling at home, uh, she had uh, been deteriorating and had some left-sided weakness. They thought she was having a stroke, so they did a CAT scan. It turned out she had a blood clot developing called a subdural hematoma, and she was continuing to deteriorate to the point where she had to be intubated, had a breathing tube put in in the emergency room. So I met her in the operating room um, uh, to do the surgery, to do the craniotomy, take it out. We found a room for her. Now the ICU includes the recovery room. The recovery room at the hospital is being used as an ICU. There's a classroom that's been converted to a, a medical treatment room largely for patients with COVID that are requiring oxygenation, for example, supplemental oxygen. Um, another case was uh, a guy that crashed his car, rollover accident, had a spine fracture, needed surgery. Fortunately, he was at an outside hospital. He, we fortunately had a bed available for him so I could ship him down. He came down, we had a slot for surgery. At 3 p.m. one day, we're only running two rooms, okay? Two OR rooms are being, we usually run 11 rooms, we were running two rooms. We had a slot for surgery at 3 p.m. the next day, so we shipped him down from that emergency room the morning of surgery. He 
came in, he had his surgery, um, and uh, he's, he's, he's doing fine and he'll probably go home. This, this was yesterday. He'll, um, he'll, he'll go home in a couple of days, no problem there. During that case, or right after that case, I had plans to treat another neurosurgical emergency called, called cauda equinus syndrome. And this is kind of a evidence of stress on the whole system. I got called um, during the workday, during my surgery. Doing, uh, I got called during the workday from the ER doctor describing this patient that had cauda equina, which is where you have this emergency situation where a, you have compression of the sack of nerves in your lower back and it takes away function of your bowel, your bladder, and your legs. She had this condition progressing and she had an MRI showing a large acute disc herniation compressing the cauda equina. Well, that's a neurosurgical emergency. So again, I said, bring her up to the operating room or the recovery room. We'll do the surgery. It's an emergency. We'll deal with the, the situation. Well, it turns out she tests positive for COVID. She gets up to the uh, uh, preoperative holding area and she's requiring more and more and more and more oxygen. It turns out she has COVID pneumonia. So that changes the, that changes the situation because not, not only did she have COVID pneumonia, but she also had what's called a DNR, a do not resuscitate order, and there was direct direction from her not to intubate her if it was for life support. Well, without question, putting a breathing tube in her would ultimately be for life support on that COVID pneumonia. So after a discussion of, uh, with her family, with the uh, critical care doctor, with her to the best she could talk in this hypoxic state, the decision was made not to do surgery, but rather to give her comfort care, let her try to recover from the COVID pneumonia, which does not look like it's going to happen. So here's the case, here's one of the first times where I actually was directly, had a patient that was directly affected in my presence of, uh, with COVID and it changed the course of her care. I didn't get to do the neurosurgical procedure that she needed to treat the cauda and instead, it looks like she's going to uh, succumb to, to COVID. So pretty rough right now at many, 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 many hospitals around the country. I'm hearing this um, from colleagues around, around the country that are neurosurgical colleagues that are, aren't, aren't operating now because of the inability to, to proceed um, because of the hospital restrictions. So I, I think a message to, to patients out there, patients who are, are really seeing any neurosurgeon um, myself included, who are trying to schedule your much needed surgeries or procedures, thank you for your patience. Um, you know, we're, we're trying, we really are. It's just that we're restricted on what we can do. And one of the things we really, really, really need to do is keep you out of the hospital right now. So even if you could have an elective surgery done elsewhere, we have to do our best to keep you out of the hospital. So. Surgery center cases are being monitored very, very closely because we do not want to, 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 to treat somebody who could potentially end up in the hospital if possible. If you need it, so far we've been able to make it work. We are, as I think this is, a, this is a, the, 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 the lesson here is um, the hospital is a great filtration system, but it is stressed. This is, there's not a lot of room for, for any disaster, certainly, right now. I mean, we're, we're um, we have scarce resources in terms of space to treat patients. We're doing what we can and, and, and doing a great job, I think. So kudos, big, big applause to all of the staff at Kootenai Health, uh, who I can speak very, very highly for. They are taking care of our community to, um, 
to extremes. So be patient, everybody. Do what you can to, to, to help get this under control. Good day. I'm Dr. Larson. Thank you for watching.